0: Welcome everyone. This is Carlos from Seedcamp. I'm here today with the CEO of Tech City, Jared Greg and we look forward to talking a little bit about the future of Britain, the future of tech in Britain. But first, let's do what we always do, which is take five steps back and look at the person behind the, the title. And Jared, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, I want to understand a little bit about your background?
1: Uh, what did you do in, in college? What did you do right after college? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've always had an interest in uh, engineering and as well as the arts. Uh, which probably explains why I went to university to study Acoustic Engineering um, which really sounds fantastic but actually it's mostly physics and maths um, and uh, wave theory. Uh, so I did that uh, and after that I left college, I left university and went into the music business. So you're a rock star. Yeah. You <laughs> got to quite, hang out with rock stars. So uh, This is why you had a heart attack when you saw my microphone set up here. Very familiar uh, technology for me. Uh, And so I I, I joined the music business, uh, went into uh, music marketing and sound recording with artists. Then I went on to set up my own business um, representing two artists. Which artists? Um, Can you say? uh, (laughs) Nirash Cha and uh, and then I I got quite involved in the signing of um, Craig David's publishing deal in the early days. Cool. And the Artful Dodger, so um, set up a, uh, a record business uh, with uh, two other guys from university and did that for about, in total I actually I spent five years in the music business and then went to do an MBA um, and then after that I joined the telecoms business at Orange in the UK. Why why that transition from like music
0: to telecoms?
1: Yes, well, when I joined Orange, I joined as head of music and video. So I was kind of making the most of my time in the music business. Again, going back to the fact that I love technology and I love the arts and sort of looking at ways of combining the two, um, which is why it was a perfect opportunity for me to join Orange as head of music and and video because it was basically being responsible for delivery of music products uh, across Europe. Uh, So... All the people that I was dealing with in the music business were people that I had kind of met um, because I also became a journalist for two and a half years in the music business. So I wrote for Music Week. I was their new media correspondent uh, reporting on the impact of the internet on the music industry. And I also wrote for Music Business International, New Media Age, Revolution Magazine. I was really basically um, reporting on the impact of technology on the media industry so from that um uh, that's why i took an interest in how technology was going to impact the 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 media industry but more specifically at the time the talk was very much about the internet and reading a lot of the publications especially wired and the financial times actually the next wave was going to be mobile so i kind of leapfrogged and thought you know maybe if i'm positioning myself well enough i'll be sort of future-proofing myself (laughs) um and 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 uh, join a telecoms, but a mobile business. Um, Orange at the time was doing extremely well. And uh, yeah, so that's, and actually you know, talking about services being delivered to, directly to consumers over the air was the future at the time. Mm. So it was a terrific time to be uh, there. Maybe there's
0: a bit of a, of a non-controversial question in your context currently, but it would have been if you had been in Orange still. Are, is the future of telecoms pretty much just a dumb data pipe?
1: So you can see that now, A lot of mobile telecom companies or or telecom companies in general are just moving heavily into the media space uh, in order to differentiate themselves and uh, applications and services. uh, I think they have a big role to play in providing connectivity at the fastest, most reliable rate possible. Uh, Some of them are very much astute enough to say, you know what, this is what we're really good at and we're going to make sure this is what we're going to stick to. We're going to stick to our knitting. Um, But then there are others who are doing extremely well and actually going into uh, new spaces and new frontiers and doing a very good job of that through branding, through providing very innovative services. It does depend. It does depend Mm -hmm. from country to country. Um, So you think that that's the future of carriers is to become like large media providers? Well, there is talk, you know, there's always speculation as to, you know, which telecoms business is going to buy uh, which media business. Uh, But there is there is advantages and disadvantages to that right We saw the AOL back in the day AOL buying Warner I think it was or yes yeah. I think. So uh, I think sometimes it works dif- depending on the conditions and what's conducive to making something work and also the leadership yeah. it's a combination of factors yeah uh, but I've certainly seen some telecom companies doing very well at Telenor, yeah uh, in, in, in Scandinavia doing extremely well and you know being very astute as to what role it should play. Um, others, have just as I said, you know, they've, they've completely understood the fact that, you know, they're really good at being a wholesaler or just a provision of, 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 of connectivity. Yeah, so that, that was, and then I went to Paris uh, and uh, in 2005 was asked to join a new division that was responsible for content, talking of which, because um, at the time um, I sort of, my team and I built a new delivery system of delivering music over the air, Um Full, full track downloads, full track video, which was the next wave after ringtones. And, and this was sort of a, a division that looked at consolidation of content um, agreements across mobile, web, fixed line and IPTV. Yeah so you know, we were now doing in 2005 and six quadruple play content deals, which we were one of the first in the world to be doing that sort of thing. So we did a quad play deal with Wanna Music. Um, And they were, you know, world firsts because Europe uh, was very much at the forefront of this and how you sort of integrate services across four platforms. Yeah. And that I did that until 2008. I also did the uh, MySpace deal at the time uh, for all uh, 18 countries, I think it was, Um, Bebo deal So we did the Bebo deal, sort of distributing Bebo um, across uh, all our networks. And then the Facebook deal, which took a while, but but it was fantastic. Um, And then I joined, after that. I joined Nokia uh, in New York uh, to help build their app store, uh, because I kind of have a, a very, I have an inclination to join companies in transition or in challenging situations. You learn the most when you're in that sort of situation, I think. Um, So I knew kind of Nokia needed help and support. So I got a call from someone who had just joined him, who I'd worked for before, pioneering in his style. And uh, so I joined him and his team in New York um, to set up the App Store. And it was fantastic, you know. So
0: what was that like early days? Because I think there's a lot of perhaps um, views out there around success or not. Or alternatives around app stores, uh, different brands, competing app stores, which ones have made it, which ones haven't. Mm. Um, what was it like early days, trying to, especially for those people who are trying to create new platforms for their devices, um, what's it like to try to spark a platform and an app store?
1: Good, good question. So, so, Nokia was competing from a a solid base. I mean, at the time they were producing over 400 million, you know, selling over 400 million phones a year. That's more than a million a day. Um, and Apple was the brand new kid on the block um, with a very much a disruptive model. Um, and, uh, and so two companies coming from different perspectives. But when it came to the App Store, what was really important for us was Payment payment systems, different payment systems in different countries, and do you go through partners? Do you build your own? Yeah. Um, uh, language and culture, you know, just because an app sells well in the states or an English-speaking country doesn't mean it's going to do as well in Russia or China, where you have a huge market. Uh, again, you know, you've got to think about where you're coming from. So Nokia had uh, it had a it had big markets right across the con- uh, across the world. So when we went live on the weekend. It was in New York. I, I, we went live in a, over 173 countries in 24 hours, uh, and just the ability to manage that was phenomenal. But um, the what you what people see when you fire up the the, the the app store app, and and how do you contextualize what they see? Because it's a lot of it is merchandising, and being able to merchandise the best and most relevant apps for that person at that point in time given where they're based, Mm. and also what's topical in the news. Uh, So it's kind of a combination. We were applying a combination of algorithms and recommendation engines with editorial intervention. Um, And that's the the best mode uh, to have. If you rely too heavily on recommendation engines, you won't get the context right, which means it has an impact on your download per day KPI. And so we went from about a million we reached a million downloads a day and by the time I left we were at about twenty nine twenty eight yeah twenty nine million downloads a day which was phenomenal And that was in about eighteen months yeah two years uh, um, so a lot of th- a lot of factors go into it as I said language location um, and how you know how do you play around you do we did a lot of a/ B testing on the recommendation engine mm. um, and so the success relies on um, new payment models, so in app versus out of app. Um, the, the way that the, the um, uh, one of the key success factors for Apple was the fact that you, could not, you were not allowed to, um, as soon as you bought the phone, you had to put in your credit card details. And so they had a payment foundation to, to, to start from, whereas in the case of Nokia in the early days, it did not have that so immediately at the time i seem to remember they had over 300 million credit card payment uh, users which was phenomenal i mean that's a fantastic base to start from um so how 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 the app was fired up how the phone was 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 authenticated uh, all played a role into your success as an app store um
0: yeah mm. you know it's, you bring up a lot of really good points there including uh, getting payment in early um, mm-hmm. If you look at the evolution of platforms today if if you had to do it all over again what would you say maybe maybe it's a bit distanced now but if you gave a recommendation to an early stage startup right now um, using maybe some of the experience from those days and some of the stuff you've seen today what has been the biggest driver in a successful platform think about like all these new devices that are coming out like um, AI and others that have built-in platforms Um, get the pricing right get the Distribution right, get the localization right. What what what's the yeah. biggest
1: critical inflection? I think uh, if it, obviously we're talking about a B two C service, right? Um, you need to not only get the the basics right, so making sure that you have a catalog mm-hmm. of content that's that's relevant um, in the right language, but also you have to connect emotionally with the user, which is what which underpins the trust system that you're building. Uh, The more I trust the service, the more I'll use it. Mm. And that trust system comes from the way the copy comes across to the person, the way the stuff is pitched to that person, Mm. the mechanism through which the payment goes through without any hiccups, uh, which is why you have to be completely obsessive about uh, debugging anything. So as soon as you find any bugs with your payment system, you need to basically not try and fudge it, you should just get it fixed as soon as possible, Mm. put up a sign saying to the user, we're having a few feeling problems, we'll come back to you uh, as soon as we can. Mm. Uh, Don't try and fudge it, would be one of my recommendations. so as well as you know, as, we, as, we, as we gather more and more data and, 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 and therefore the application of AI is going to be super important to be competitive. Mm-hmm. I think you still, as a business, you must find a way of connecting with our consumers emotionally. So mm-hmm. I put a lot of emphasis on this with mm-hmm. my team on the editorial side of things, yeah. Okay, so the, you know, that, you, that sounded like... And the know, network effect as well, right? So yeah. you need to target influencers yeah. who will speak uh, and amplify your business and so that you have a strong network effect. Because yeah. you have a time, you have a very limited time and opportunity in terms of getting to critical mass. Yeah. So you need to get to critical mass as quickly as possible, but do not do it half-heartedly or half-baked. Just plan that as much as possible and get to critical mass as soon as possible. And what does that mean in your business? What does, what does reaching critical mass actually mean? Does it mean 17% market share? Does it mean 2% market share? Or does it mean a market share per country? Yeah. But, but set that target and just go Get get focused on that and just do that. Yeah,
0: and it seems to me like, in the, if I if I look at what's happened in the last two, three, four years, where you've had this explosion of platform marketplaces, uh, that you were uniquely qualified, having left your role in Nokia, um, to pretty much jump on any of the now given and successful marketplaces with the experience. But instead, you you chose to move into Maybe changing the way that we live, changing the, the politics of, of the environment that we're in and the ecosystem. Walk us through what your thinking was and kind of how, how you decided to make that shift in life from tech. You know, you already made one transition from music to to tech to telecoms, telecoms to platforms, now platforms to politics. Maybe it's
1: just letters of P. But what what? How did that transition come about? I don't know. You know, I I, I guess I I guess I've, I've, I've 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 lived and worked in many countries, and 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 just tr- being adaptable adaptable to situations. But I think when I when I look at the so at the time in New York, I was at Nokia Ventures, and I was offered the opportunity to go to San Francisco. Uh, my family were not as keen as I was. So you know I have three children. You have to. It's not about yourself anymore at that age. It's about the whole family. It's mm-hmm. about the whole rather than some of the parts, and. I've always wanted to live in San Francisco, but I had to sort of um, not, you know, not go there. Uh, and I was offered other places around the world, but my, my family and I had to make a decision whether it was New York or London. And then this opportunity came up, and as you say, this is an opportunity to make an impact on on a huge scale, right? So this is not about um, helping a business, you know, build more profit or or build better products. This is about how do you make the British economy even more resilient in the face of technological change mm. so that's what got me so fired up and when I was approached um, to consider it I, I didn't think twice about it and I, I, I never intended to go into into this sort of political space mm. but I think it makes the best best use of my time in Paris because even when I worked in Paris there is certain formalities you need to think about I mean working in different uh, countries there are definitely different ways of doing business and how you conduct oneself even though business is transversal, uh, cultural um, the culture impacts anything so I I was I felt very comfortable in a space where uh, you've got uh, Whitehall on one side, or, 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 or national government on one side, and the tech community on the other, mm. and trying to be—we're really a hybrid organization that's trying to kind of make sure that we decode what entrepreneurs and CEOs are saying, saying. so that national government can act on that decoding of information. Mm. Um, because I have so seen. Let's let's dig yes. deeper into that. So,
0: for those of you that are not familiar with with mm. with what sure. uh, the role is, it. In effect, you're the head of Tech City, mm-hmm. and we we're talking a little earlier about the role of Tech City in, in perhaps going to Tech Nation, and we'll get to
1: that in a bit. Mm-hmm. But maybe for those that aren't familiar with the, the term, yes. what is Tech City? Yes, sure. So Tech City originally started in 2010 to shine a light on shortage right here, where we are standing, where we're sitting in East London, where at the time there were about 200 software businesses. Now there are over two and a half thousand software businesses. And it was launched by the UK prime minister, David Cameron. And since then, we're now shining a light right across the capital, right across London. Um, So there are multiple mini tech hubs, you know, burgeoning everywhere uh, from Camden to Soho to Bermondsey. Uh, and also, we've now, we're now starting to shine, shine a light on other cities around the UK that have emerging specialisms in technology. So Tech TechCity, is is it's, it's government-backed. It's 90% funded by the government, 10% funded by, uh, uh, through private sponsorship. And essentially, it's, its mission is to accelerate the growth of the UK's digital economy. And it does that in three ways. It delivers programs targeted at helping businesses get to their next stage of liquidity. So we'll talk about, you know, hopefully the Academy, Future 50 upscale, as well as policy convening programs. So the second thing it does, it convenes policymakers with entrepreneurs and, and CEOs to ensure that national government is doing everything it can to enable these, these great entrepreneurs and CEOs to build stronger, faster businesses. And number three we advocate so we advocate on behalf of the uk's digital ecosystem both nationally and internationally so i just got back yesterday from malta where we took a delegation of about 12 companies from kano to pobble to wakelet to code first girls these are like british companies doing amazing things and we took them to this amazing conference where you had over 45 heads of government and we made sure that we, we got them to meet as many people as possible. So that's the part of the advocacy um, the role that we play. So that's, that's it's quite an unusual organization. I have to say that we, we get um, uh, dozens of government requests per week of people wanting to emulate uh, the success that we have had as an organization um, from all around the world. And is in the policy
0: convening program, so, yes.
1: The, is that where we see a lot of the tax incentives yeah. coming out from? So, by having by ensuring that you know, policymakers at the national level and also at the local level inter, you know intervening and, and having a, a, a being able to spend time with entrepreneurs directly, uh, we've seen a number of initiatives um, roll out. So. You know, the rollout of the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, which is you know, 50% capital gains tax relief on investments of up to £150,000. is one of the most aggressive policies in early-stage startup investment in the world. The introduction of the TechNation visa, which was recently introduced, um, uh, which focuses on British businesses being able to attract the best and brightest talent from outside the EU uh, and having any specialization um Capability in artificial intelligence, machine learning, or anything such that, or, or having had the experience of taking a company, tech company, to IPO, we need these people in this country, or, or the introduction of the entrepreneurs visa, or the introduction of the R&D tax credits. So this is tax credits on um, R&D investment. So it's a lot. It's 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 a lot. And, and last, year, yourself, what's the difference between the tech nation visa and the entrepreneur visa? So the entrepreneur's visa is you're setting up a business. The yep. technician visa is for, let's say, one of your companies like Herply, yep. um, needing a specialist in artificial intelligence, and, and and they can only find that person in Singapore. Right. So this would be a way of fast-tracking those people in into this country. Um, or if one of your companies makes an acquisition abroad outside the EU of a team of up to five people, mm we will now consider them as a team because we know that they have an expertise as a team and not as a set of individuals. Mm. So uh, a number of things, so even, you know, even insuring. So last year we worked with Funding Circle and other peer-to-peer funding platforms, where we announced um, the introduction of um, ensuring that uh, government would consider P2P platforms at the same level as banks in terms of asset investment assets. Um, so yes, a number of things have come out from this and even the rules and how they changed on the Tech Nation visa this summer was all down to hard negotiation with the Home Office. Um, so you know, it, 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 what the, the point to make is it's fantastic to see a national government at the highest level listening and actively acting on what they're hearing in terms of the challenges from entrepreneurs and CEO. And this is political leadership. Mm. And this is a cultural phenomenon that you cannot get any... any. It's not that easy to get any government to kind of implement. Mm. Which is why sometimes they're looking a little stunned when they come and see us and they see the success. They're like, well, what else? There must be something else to it. Like, well, actually, the programs really help, but that kind of agile feedback loop between government and the tech community is so important.
0: Yeah, I, I think one of the things that maybe the audience might not be familiar with especially if um, they're not British is how that can transcend uh, different governments um, different heads of government how does Tech City continue to have this openness and these, these policies that are favorable towards entrepreneurs persist throughout different presumably lengthier um, governments so if Tech City as an initiative will last 10, 10 years, maybe 20 years. How do you continue this momentum of change and maintaining those changes as governments
1: change, as parties move, come and go? That's a very good point. I, I, I think, you know, my team and I actively work hard at building trust. Mm. Um, not only with the tech community and ensuring that we're delivering programs that actually help the, the the community, but also with government, and ensuring that uh, we're taking them along with us. Uh, whether it's emerging tech, and you know, such as blockchain or or the sharing economy and hmm. how it actually impacts the the uh, the, the economy, uh, it's about taking everyone as much as possible. <laughs> it's not easy, but you have to take as many as many people with you as possible, uh, and you don't create any chasms or gaps in understanding. Hmm. Uh, so so that's because that's
0: one of the challenges that anybody who's from a non-British country is probably thinking as they're trying to set up Tech City in their own countries, mm-hmm. thinking, how do I make this not become about one party's uh, you know, flag? Yes. And how do I keep so, that so that
1: it persists as a, as a strategy? So right now, you know, we have a series of roundtables that are taking place right across the country to ensure that, you know, the government's uh, plan for digital is takes into consideration... You know, experts in their field, um, but what I would say is that you know, we we do roundtables with sh- the shadow cabinet, uh, you know, with people from the from the other side of the political spectrum, deliberately, in order to ensure that everyone is trying to understand how important this is to creating a resilient economy. Mm. So, you know, we're open. You know, we're government backed, and as a result, we have to take initiatives from all sides, which can make it challenging. Uh, I have to admit. Yeah. Uh, but we, again, it's about educating people who may not be familiar with technology. Uh, you know, as I said, um, sometimes I think what I tell the team is we've got to be super careful that we don't go to tech conferences where you're preaching to the converted. And it's a, it's a sort of a self-reinforcing network of knowledge yeah. that, that actually is great. But actually, it's really important that we share that expertise and information with as many people who are not familiar with the data economy because guess what, we need to t- bring them along with us. For the data economy to really take off in the way that we want, all wanted to see it, we need to build a lot of trust in the system and the economy. And it's all very well us feeling great about the great technology that we produce every day that you and I live with, but there's a, there's, it's important that we include everybody else because we don't want fear uh, you know we don't want people to be fearful of what data they share and they don't share. You know, I was with someone last night at a at a at a bar and and, and, and he told me I don't want to be doing this over the Wi-Fi in the bar. And I'm like, we were we were trying to do some things um, from some transactions on our on our mobile phones and he said I feel really uncomfortable doing this over and it's like wow you know I can't believe that. But that's so it's it's really important that we it's really important that we take everyone with us, um, and, and, and I guess that answers your question, right? Yeah, it, it does. But I think, you
0: know, I'm I'm constantly asked when I when we travel um, by heads of, of, of sort of policymakers or or. Um, the, the government in, bodies in charge of tech and innovation, oh, how it is that they can start this off in their country. How can oh, they emulate these things? And, and one of the fears that these guys have is that as soon as one guy who's in charge at the moment comes up with this idea, it'll become labeled, you know, the way that Boris Bikes are now called Boris Bikes, you know, forever they will be called Boris Bikes. They don't want their association of this great initiative to be tied to the local government that is in place at the moment, and therefore, within a year, or two, or three, or four, whenever that that mm. term is over, mm. that all of a sudden this falls apart. And, and I think Tech City's done an amazing job of of bringing a lot of people, as you said, bringing everyone on board. And and maybe it was just like the timing. Maybe it was that the ecosystem was ready for it. Uh, but maybe there's some other magic. So maybe for the for the people policymakers that are. On this podcast at the moment and I'm going to share it to to a few people in the EU Parliament and everything is what recommendation would you have for those countries Mm -hmm. that are starting to think about creating their own tech city Mm -hmm. as a way of making
1: sure that it is a successful initiative. Sure, so I guess there are four key drivers that are um, important to any digital economy regardless of the country we're speaking about. One is smart talent Um, and make sure that you're doing everything you can to develop a a fantastic pool of talent. Secondly, smart capital, so making sure that you have capital in the system, either from VCs or alternative um, um, people who are ready and willing to invest um, in the talent that you have. Number three is infrastructure. What I mean by infrastructure, I'm talking about the physical space for companies to start up, like you have right here in Google Campus. As well as broadband connectivity, and you know, way beyond super, what we term as superfast, so what beyond beyond what the EU terms as superfast, which is twenty-five megabits per, per second, you know, we need we need gigabits. Uh, and number four, which is the point I'll come to, to your question, is political leadership, meaning that ensuring that government is not top down but it's ground up, um, is taking the views and opinions of many many people um, and ensuring that that bubbles up and is codified so that it makes a lot of sense when it comes to policy um, the way we've done that is by producing an annual report called tech nation so tech nation 2015 was our first annual report where we took over two and a half thousand completed business surveys from from two and a half thousand digital businesses from right across the country as well as and we combine that with a lot of big data crunching of over 47,000 digital businesses in the UK. And the combination of those two gave us a snapshot of what's going on in the UK. Now, that's, that created a lot of evidence for policymakers to consider what they should do next. And so, so I guess the, 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 the point to emphasize is the way in which you go about Creating engagement is what will uh, create sustainability of an organization, you know, during the highs and lows, um, and that's leadership, the team you hire, the ability for um, the government in that specific country to let the leader and his and his or her team do what they think is right. So a lot of trust, um, and being able and and willing to listen and act. On what the tech community is saying. So, in some instances, you know, I was just saying this over the weekend um, at the uh, at this heads of government meeting that was taking place in Malta. Uh, do not even think about setting something up for photo opportunities. Yeah, this is this is yes, the photos are great, but this is really you have to actively listen and actively act on what tech entrepreneurs are saying as to how to make the economy even more resilient. So. And that's, and, and having executive leadership right at the top. So the prime minister's office or the president's office needs to have someone who's actively engaged and bringing this information right to the top, right to where executive decisions are being made, which is a big success factor. Absolutely. Yeah. This is not a bolt-on initiative. You know, we, we talked about the three things that Tech City does, which is,
0: you know, create... Um, Programs like the Future Fifty yes that, uh, provide liquidity uh, for for companies. Also, the policy convening program uh, where initiatives like technician visa came out. Yes, and tax incentives right. came out. And then you mentioned that you also have this arm that advocates Britain mm-hmm. um, nationally, internationally, and, and yes using it as a tech hub. And then you you've given me that in terms of what will drive. Uh, the success of these things, it's people uh, at, uh, at the entry point, making sure you have the right people in, in the economy, that you have this, the right capital, uh, smart capital, and that you can incentivize that capital to be unlocked from you know, maybe asset, uh, assets that don't really create much growth um, yes. to assets that make growth and create jobs. Yes. then you have infrastructure and broadband and then we talked about political leadership Now, for, for anybody who's listening that is trying to implement this let's say in their own country mm. um, or wants to maybe take a, a, a stab at where to provide the most benefit which one of those four is the one that you would consider to be the, like the 80-20 rule like, mm. these are four things and one of them just hugely unlocked and I'll give you my point of view but then you mm. tell me your point of view for me, a huge inflection point was um, if, I, if I had to look at infrastructure and broadband, people, smart capital, political leadership, and some of the other initiatives that are in place, I'd say that the, the ones that stood out the most for me were, one, um, all the tax incentives for, for investors. That created a huge amount of capital to come in from different parts of the economy that were previously not really yeah. sort of keen on investing in startups. And that's been, I think it's been a wild success in terms of seeing how our companies can get funded and other companies are getting funded. That's been a, a huge one. Two, it's been having this this connection with, with leadership uh, and being able to sort of get questions answered, especially when it comes to stuff like immigration and visa and stuff like that. It yes. doesn't always mean that it moves as quickly as we would like, but it's always been a very transparent, uh, at least a very quick process. And those to me have been ones that have really stood out but but mind you i'm sitting here as an investor and i have these views as an investor so they're biased so i'm curious as to like from your point of view which ones have been the most effective
1: yeah so when i when i talk about political leadership i'm also talking about the fact that that went on to create the right business and policy environment for the startups to to grow and thrive um so which is a driver in itself but it starts from the very top right Uh, those business and policy policy that you're talking about came from the leadership um, of the tech community engaging with national government and ensuring that the right decisions were being made at the right time. I I guess it starts from, so governments have a responsibility to play in ensuring they're creating the right conditions for growth and I think it it, it has to start from there. So are universities doing enough to ensure that PhD students who are extremely clever and bright and want to drop out of university, are they doing enough to capture those people and make sure they stay within the system so they can go off and do what they really want to do, which is not complete their degree necessarily, but start a fantastic business that creates the engine that that creates jobs of tomorrow? Are universities doing enough of that? Guess what? A lot of universities get grants from the government their research work could we incentivize them to do more in that respect it's again it goes back to political leadership Mm. how do we get investors more interested you're an investor yourself Carlos right Uh, you get them because there's an incentive there's a there's a reward in getting involved which is because their policies have been put in place by government to make you attracted to the area that you're dealing with so yes I think so it comes down to political leadership. I, well, it, it, but that creates the right conditions for mm. growth, which is completely and utterly based on creating the right business uh, environment and policies uh, that makes it makes the country conducive to starting, growing, and exiting a digital business. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, I, obviously, this this
0: comes with a lot of authority coming from you and and one of the um, things that I find really admirable is all the work that you, know, you guys and your team have done over the last years with, the, with especially some of the benefits like the Future50 where you're highlighting a lot of these um, companies in the UK that are changing the world. Um, but there's still a lot of room in the future uh, to, to grow the scope of Tech City. and one of the things that uh, somebody might be asking is, is Britain gonna continue to be innovating in this space uh, what's the next five years bring and what is Tech Nation? What is this vision of Tech Nation? How do you keep this leadership passion mm. in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in the local government um, to still be as engaged as they have been for the first five years of this initiative? Mm.
1: Mm. Uh, w- well, we're in the middle. I mean, I think, I think if you don't have the passion, enthusiasm of a tech community or the, the, tech, uh, the, the enthusiasm and passion of national government, yeah, we would not be where we are right now. So it's about maintaining that momentum. Uh, so so now we have a suite of, of programs that help people with just an idea in a bedroom, right through to companies employing hundreds of people that want to potentially less than the London Stock Exchange. So now we have, at the starting point, we have the Digital Business Academy, uh, which is... Uh, We've done it in conjunction with UCL and Cambridge University Judge Business School, as well as Founder Centric, um, you know, who work with early stage businesses in Microsoft Ventures. They do work a little bit with companies in Seedcamp. And so that academic rigor combined with commercial know-how and how to build and scale a business gave us the impetus to create this online academy just for UK residents. Mm. And in the first year, we've had 22,000 people sign up and we have 14,000 people in training. and so. We're creating a, a flow of founders um, and, and only two weeks ago, Carlos, we were delighted to announce a new program called Upscale, which is uh, it's a pilot program, which is all about coaching and mentoring. But coaching and ben- mentoring by people who have actually grown and scaled business hugely successfully internationally. So we have uh, Nicholas Zenstrom, uh, um, who's, uh, who obviously is the founder of Skype. We have Brad Felt, who's the founder of Techstars. Uh, we have the founder and CEO of Unruly, who just exited her business to Newscorp. So we have 12 amazing coaches that are willing to give their time to help the next generation of British tech entrepreneurs come through. And then we have the Future 50, which you talked about. So that's for Stage A businesses. Now we have, and, and that's for Stage A, and then Future 50 is for Stage B and beyond. So these mm. are, collectively, we've seen 27 rounds raise over 800 million pounds with another billion pounds raised on the London Stock Exchange from four IPOs plus an additional five acquisition in the last 22 months alone. Mm. So this is the best of British businesses and when I was in the States with the Minister for Trade and Investment in July when we were seeing all sorts of investors from Andreessen to Crosslink Capital to a bunch of people this was a great way in and just saying you want a snapshot of how resilient right right now the british tech community is here's a snapshot here are some data points to get started so that adv- you know we advocate through the businesses that we represent that's the point it's you know we're just here to facilitate mm-hmm. uh so i talk with passion about you know the companies that we have from shazam to far-fetched to unruly uh, um, and we're re- really excited by seeing what companies um, have applied to the Upscale program. Phenomenal. So, and that, what it does, because one could argue, well, that's uh, you know, that's fifty companies, that's twenty-five companies, and actually, what that does, it inspires, it raises the bar even higher. Um, uh, in the early days, I mean, Seedcamp was one of the first accelerators in Europe. Very proud to be British. Um, thanks to, to Rashmi yourself and, and Saul Klein. Uh, now, in London alone, there are over forty tech accelerators, and we're seeing total maturity in the sense that that there are accelerators specialising in different verticals. Yeah. So, what I, what you know, what future fifty? You know, we work very closely with the London Stock Exchange, so that we we do what we can to help British businesses list here and continue growing here. That creates jobs of tomorrow here. So the ability for us to sort of engage with different institutions inspires lots of people that may not have been involved in technology like you and I, Carlos, to actually start engaging, actively engaging and thinking about what else they can be doing to help this tech ecosystem thrive in a, in a, in a, in a, in a much more, I guess, formal way, which is why these programs are so important. And the Tech Nation aspect is to ensure that we're taking the whole country with us. Yeah. Right? So you have you have emerging specialisms in different areas right across the country, whether it's cybersecurity in uh, Belfast or FinTech expertise in Edinburgh or digital media production expertise in Manchester because of the yeah. BBC or, or gaming specialisms in Liverpool or Internet of Things. In Bristol or hardware and connectivity in Cambridge I mean we want to build a network of digital excellence where you have people um, in different areas um, with different specialisms mm. you know look at look at Brandwatch. it's based in Brighton it just acquired peer index a London based company mm. and it's having a, a, a special it, it, it specializes in digital marketing and, and social media uh, and they're based in Brighton mm. uh, obviously they have a commercial team in in London, but 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 even Brighton itself, uh, after the crash, a lot of people went you know moved there and set up lifestyle businesses that are now actually not lifestyle businesses at all. They're actually growing really quickly, and they have a special there, there tends to be a specialism in digital marketing and UX user experience expertise. So the point is that we're seeing we're seeing the digital economy take off and. All over the country which is very much in our interest mm.
0: and when I hear you talk about this latter this latter set of initiatives they sound increasingly more like advocacy and and that's probably a very good thing because it sounds to me like if I look back at the origins of Tech City it was around fixing some of the issues that were in, in the, the, the ecosystem that were preventing companies from starting You smoothen those out, which then enabled companies to get started pretty relatively easily. So that's, like, I would put in the fixed category stuff like infrastructure. And then with enabling stuff like the the tax and, and all these other incentives, and then you became a facilitator with programs like Future 50 and now Upscale. And then, as this program
1: matures, it sounds like it's increasingly going to become about advocacy and less about the the other four. So, I, I disagree because I think we st- we like we're doing these series of roundtables right yeah. now uh, because we want constructive, insightful input from the community right into directly into government to make you know decisions about what to do with blockchain. Mm. Um, how do we scale up the next generation of makers and consumers Mm. Uh, so it's a a combination of all three right tech nation itself the report itself is refreshingly honest Mm. about what's great about the UK but also what needs Mm. more investment Mm. and attention Mm. and that in itself is fantastic fodder. For policy making. Mm. You need evidence-based information mm. to make sure that the policies you put and in so place. it's iterative then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so iterative. so the report becomes a constructive way of saying mm. to policy makers here's the data. This is what the data is telling us. Yeah. So what if we change or tweak this or tweak that. So for example the Tech Nation visa tweaks that we did over the summer is completely based on a number of roundtables that we did earlier in the year. Um, I'm, I'm yeah, so and even over the summer and from that we we took it straight to the home office uh, and number 10 and and they worked with us on trying to make sure that the changes that took mm-hmm. place took everything into consideration so mm-hmm. actually what I would say is that all three are super important so uh, so these programs are allow us uh, give us a, a constructive way of engaging with businesses mm. um, it, in the process at the same time, we're, we're, we're raising awareness of these companies, which is the advocacy part. And, but at the same time, it gives us a way of saying to the national government, here are 50 companies on Future 50 at this later stage in their development, and this is what they're telling us. Yeah. This is really insightful stuff. Like these, you know, whatever, employee investment schemes are, they could work in a better way. And here's their direct yeah. um, feedback on that yeah. point. Uh, and so that government is not making any decisions in isolation, but making them completely yeah. in, 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 in tandem with, with, with the community in mind. Yeah. So, those there, there, three aspects programs, policy convening, and advocacy are like so intertwined now. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Yes.
0: Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to help out? What, what is it that
1: you could, what is, if you could yeah. get people to reach out to you say, I want to help you out with this, what would it be? So I love... Pe- when people come with ideas, uh, what we can sometimes do is is maybe um, put people in, in, in touch with other people that they may not be aware of. If it's, you know, when, it's, when ideas are great, you just need to just jump on them. Uh, we could potentially see if we can raise sponsorship for the idea um, that is looking to change the way something is done. Uh, but they can get in touch you know, my email is Gerard at TechCityUK They can directly get in touch with me or anyone you know on the website. Um, but it's we love entrepreneur, especially entrepreneurs with great ideas coming to us and saying, you know, if if what do you think of this idea that could change the ecosystem in this way? All I need is X, Y, Z. We lo- we we really encourage that. I'm not saying that we'll do it every time. We I can't guarantee anything because <laughs> I've maximized my budget. Uh, yeah. But 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 we're it's amazing uh i think the reality is that we we have a very much a can-do attitude we're Mm -hmm. really like a startup in our organization we have gecko boards uh you know we we uh we really behave like a startup and we really treat this organization as if it's ours although there's no equity for anyone Mm. um so a lot of people come and and do their bit um for their country which is superb um uh but yeah we'd, we'd encourage anyone to get in touch especially when they want to build something and they're and they need some help yeah Yeah. excellent well
0: thanks for that Uh, a lot of great insights about how to create uh, um, a very very inspiring uh, initiative within your own country but also in terms of a lot of the passion that you bring to it and the experience that you bring to it from, from your background in technology so thanks for joining us Gerard and until next time guys bye